0: Welcome to another episode of the Myths That Make Us podcast. Your host, the ego that responds to the name Eric, is here today. And I'm interviewing Natasha Kingsbury. Um, She's one of my favorite people. Um, The way that she is as a mother in the world is uh, something that I deeply admire. And I hope to have some type of container similar to what um, just the bond that Natasha and Kyle have, and I don't know, they've kind of felt like energetic mothers and fathers to me since I've started working out on it, and it's been beautiful. And she brings that openness and that nurturing and that love to this episode. It's deep. It's honest. Um, It wouldn't be a myth that make us podcast if there weren't tears shared by both of us. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. We enter her story, the path that brought her to where she is now, And she gives me some advice on the podcast, which is very nice. Also, I just just want to be clear with you guys. The two big things that I want to do with the podcast is I want to use it as a vehicle to interview, you know, the top psychologists and the smartest philosophers alive right now. And one of the major ways to do that is to grow the podcast. And so if you want to support, please either share the episode with someone that you think it will resonate with. Talk about it on social media in whatever way, you know, gets you the adequate amount of responses that feeds the addiction of being validated on social media. That's how I use it. Or uh, go to iTunes and leave a rating and a review. And also I want to use this podcast one day to justify being able to write a book. And it's a big part of uh, what book proposals are made of is, you know, what is the size of your podcast, your email list or whatever. So again, if you want to support, please share Help grow this thing and you know we'll do the dance as always i love you guys thank you for listening Namaste. Wow. natasha welcome to the myths that make us podcast thank you for coming on
1: thank you for having me absolutely I'm incredibly honored
0: And before we get started, I just want to say, um, out of all the people that I know personally, how you approach being a mother is, it's the most inspiring thing that I've seen. And I hope that the woman that I have children with one day will emulate the way that you are approaching it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I just wanted to let you know that and then we'll get right into these questions. If you just finished doing something that puts you into a flow state and someone came up to you and asked you, who are you? What do you do? Um, What would you say?
1: I think my first answer would be, I'm a mother. That's just what I do full time. Um, But more than that, uh, I like to think of myself as a warrior and a teammate um, and an adventurer. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How would Kyle describe you and what you do?
1: How would Kyle describe me? Um, I've heard him describe me on podcasts before. (laughs) (laughs) So I think he would say um, that I'm fiery, uh, wild, and that I do the hard work. I think that's one of the things he's said to me and on podcasts is that's his favorite uh, attribute of mine is that I'm willing to do the hard work and constantly work on myself and constantly work on myself to be a better mother, a better wife, a better friend, and just like human in general.
0: How would your best friend describe you and what you do?
1: crazy. (laughs) Um, I've definitely been, uh, tend to be the, the friend that pushes the pace and always wants to have adventures and laugh and have a good time, but also, um, the rock. I feel like I'm, my friends typically reach out to me when they need advice or they're just having a hard time or they have exciting news. Um, yeah.
0: How would your father describe you and what you do?
1: Which one? (laughs) Well, my real father died when I was almost two. Mm. Um, but in my, I shared my first ceremony on Kyle's podcast the other day and, um, a part of that that I did not share uh, that when I left, it was like, I didn't share that little tidbit from uh, the ceremony was at the end of the, so the whole, just a little, the whole ceremony was me spending the day with my dad, um, ayahuasca. So I was in visionary state, spent the day with my dad, just talking about my life and kind of catching him up and just talking about Him, why, because he killed himself. So just working through that, like, why did you give up? Why did you leave us? Um, But flash forward, very incredibly healing ceremony. Um, Flash forward, coming out of Ayahuasca, just kind of laying there next to Kyle. And one one of the guides came over and said, Natasha, the healer wants to talk to you. And I was like, okay. So people were still kind of in their space. And so he took me to the healer who would also a lot of times the healers will also drink the medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and the healer told me that a man walked into the camp while we were all Whoa. under the medicine describes the man. I'd never no, ne- There's no way Whoa. this person would know what my father looked like. Described the man, red hair, gold eyes, And the healer said, what are, what are you doing here? And the man said, my daughter's here. And, oh, who's your daughter? And the man walked over, stood right in front of me and said, that's her. So the only way I could tell you what my father would say about me is that he said, she's so strong. She's so strong. Wow. And that was incredibly powerful, especially because the whole day I had spent with my father. So my father would say, I'm strong. Wow. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I will be going and doing ayahuasca in November.
1: You at, are at, at Sultara. Yeah. Sultara. Yeah. It's incredible. I highly, highly recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. And I
0: will bring back whatever stories because the more I hear them, the more it's like, I've got to go.
1: Incredibly powerful. And every ceremony is different. Yeah, for yeah. sure.
0: How would your mother describe you and what you do?
1: Ooh, mother. <laughs> My mother would describe me as I would say wild, probably rebellious. Um she would probably say lost, searching, but very loving.
0: What do you recall as your first memory?
1: Oh, that's another interesting one. So first memory that I have is of my mother getting married. And my two older sisters and I were the flower girls. Mm -hmm. And I was about, I was probably like three and a half, four and I remember she was marrying my first stepdad. So my second dad. And I just remember feeling really sad. Um, I remember being at the wedding and walking up and I was really like nervous because we were standing in front of a lot of people. And then I felt sad because she left and went on her honeymoon mm. and we stayed with um, our one of my best friends to this day. She was born a day after me and we're still best friends, but we stayed with her family. But I just remember feeling sad that she married, was uh, well, that she left. Yeah. And I remember the wedding. Um, but then I was actually given a flashback first memory in that first ayahuasca experience mm-hmm. with my father. Um, and it was just a quick image of, because I started walking when I was nine months And it was a quick image of a long hallway with like thick carpet and a dim light at the end of the hallway, super narrow walls. And my dad was kind of crouched down with his arms open towards me. And I just had like little baby hands Mm -hmm. and it was like, like walking to him. Um, And that was given to me in the ceremony. Hmm. And I, confirmed it in a way with my mom I just didn't say like I saw this in a vision but I was like did we ever live in a house and just described it and uh she's like yeah we that was you know she she was like I think I we did have a house like that and kind of described what the thick shaggy carpet and all of that so
0: what age do you think that memory was
1: um probably around the time I started learning to walk because it felt like I was like taking for like, it was like those first right. steps of like yeah. walking to dad. Yeah.
0: It's really interesting. Um, in most of the psychological research on like memory and like when you get your first memories, it's around age three. Cause like that's when there's enough kind of cognitive architecture mm-hmm. for you to even run the program of being a thing. Yeah. But almost everyone I know who's done ayahuasca since having done ayahuasca, they have a memory that's a year or two, even earlier. And there is some avenue of research there and I don't know what it is, but it's yeah. something that I keep seeing over and over again. So that's super interesting.
1: Yeah. And for me, it was incredibly, even if it was like a made up thing in my mind, it's a beautiful thing for me to have just because I have no memories oh, for sure. with my father. I have like photos, um, but I was so small, but it's, yeah. I like it. <laughs> and truly like <laughs> if, it.
0: if you want to get existential for a moment, like we, our sense of self is dependent on memories. And when you study kind of the science around how accurate memories are, they're just not. And every time you remember a memory, whatever emotional state you're in, in the moment that you recall it, it actually changes it. Mm. And so our, our, like the backlog of our memories are always being slightly tweaked every time we recall them.
1: Journaling is so great. Oh, for sure. Especially when you do ceremonies. Oh, so to for Journal sure. that right away.
0: I think it started when I was in my early 20s when I started doing psychedelics. Um I started just writing trip reports after each one. It's just it just became a habit. And now I just have this like instinct. Anytime I do anything that feels like it's transformed me in any type of way, I have to write about it like it's a trip report. Like I want to write a trip report about going to Portland. Mm-hmm. You know, cuz yeah. like so much was learned. And you know, I'm the king of reminding people that they should journal and most of them don't because there's resistance. But yeah.
1: I'm really bad at it. I actually, when we went to Peru for uh Wachuma Spirit Quest, I was trying to journal and I just it w- it was really hard for me. Um, but art. Mm, I like yeah, to journal through. yeah, I like to journal through art.
0: That's beautiful. And
1: the one thing I've been really good about journaling is my journal for Bear. Mm. And it's just all the funny little bearisms and things that he does or memories that I don't want to forget. And I started doing that because I think he was like two and a half, only two and a half. It's like only two and a half years. You should be able to remember everything, right? And I remember I was hanging out with my sister or something and she said, oh my gosh, remember that time, Bear, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I totally... Forgot about that. Wow, and so yeah. I was like, I can only really imagine all the things he's gonna do that I absolutely love or that make me laugh so hard that I could possibly forget. And I never want to forget yeah. the things that he does or the things that he says. Cause he kids are freaking hilarious. Sure. And he's he just says things that are like, where did you come mm. up with that? <laughs> he told such- Kyle to sh- he said, shut your shut your mouth old man he said that the other day we <laughs> lost it because we're like where did he learn that That it's is so fucking funny. Awesome. so disrespectful but so funny
0: <laughs> yeah that really um gets me excited about the idea of like starting a private journal for each of my children yeah like the moment that they were born I just write them journal entries yeah. and I did give
1: it to them oh
0: my god I want to do that.
1: And if something happened to you and you died younger than expected, right. they have even, and it's not just memories. It can just also be little things like, I love you. For I sure. love this or this Absolutely. and this. I can't wait. You know, like, but that me- would mean so much to anybody God, if they had that. something from their parents. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's, that's a beautiful idea. It's so cool that you're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. What do you recall as the first story, either a movie or a book or like, um, a story that your mom or your stepdad told you when you were falling asleep, uh, that you remember like really grabbing you?
1: Well, we most, we grew up in a very religious home, Christianity. And, um, so really the only books in the house were Bible books, like wow. Bible stories. And um, we read the Bible. Once we could read, we read it every year, the whole thing, Whoa. including Numbers and Deuteronomy, Whoa. which are not fun. Nope. They don't make sense. Why does a child need to read this? Right, um, wow. But I, let's see which one out of those. There's so many really fascinating, f- funny, if you want. uh stories in the Bible. And I think the ones that kids learn a lot of time or uh, most of the time, the ones you hear about as a child are like Noah's Ark, Jonah and the whale. Um, I always liked Noah, uh, Noah and the Ark yeah. because of the fact that like there was all these animals and I would just think about how they had every single animal Two of each, a male and a female, on one boat, every single animal in the world on one boat. And well, how like the questions I would ask, how would they keep them from eating each other? And the answer was like, well, God you know, made them peaceful and they knew that they were there to replenish the earth when they were done. Um so but I was it was just always a very fascinating. And I was a child with full of questions about everything in the Bible. There were so many things I was like, that doesn't make sense. And I think that's when I said my mom would say I was that I'm rebellious is because I had so many questions that it was like, I don't know. (laughs) Like (laughs) that's just how it was. And you're like, oh, okay. It's so funny. (laughs) Uh,
0: In my parents' house, they weren't very religious, but their parents were very religious. So they, you know, put us in church. Or in, you know, like church school or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sunday school.
0: And I went, I think, three times. And then I started barraging my mom with questions. And she was like, (laughs) Eric, you don't have to go. And then it just kind of stopped there. Um,
1: This is too much work. (laughs) Were you
0: allowed to watch movies? Like, did you watch movies as a child?
1: Yes, um, but we were very restricted on what we could watch. Um, For instance, like never saw The Little Mermaid until I was probably in high school. Wow, why? Um, The Seashells and Uh, it was just too scandalous, but, um, and I have uh, there, you know, for anybody that listens, that could be like, Oh, you know, religious people are so I understand why my mom was so overprotective with music and what we watched, you know, just in Kyle's podcast, I had talked about how I was molested by my stepdad from the age four till about nine. And so when my mom found out Um, Even before then, we were very like, we just church, you know, she was very conservative with the things we watch. We didn't really watch a lot of TV. We never had cable growing up. Um, But I understand that, oh, that like protection against sexuality because we were exposed to so much in the worst ways. So it was like, oh, to like try to even the scale in her mind, just cut all of it out. Anything that has anything to do with sexuality, it's out But we did watch, like, classic movies, the musicals, um, which I'm really, I love that we grew up. We grew up in a home that we were singing and dancing, and we got to listen to the oldies, which listening to oldies now, I'm like, damn, Mom, you were protecting us from the seashells, (laughs) but that song song is risque. Um, But, yeah, so I think Sound of Music and just all the, the classic
0: is there one that stands out as like it was your favorite as a kid
1: sound of music and the seven brides for seven brothers
0: interesting okay so we're gonna do it a little bit differently today i would i'm gonna ask you to actually tell each of those stories and we'll, we'll see if there's some meta story in each of the three we'll just okay. see um if you were if bear was like 10 and he was like "Mom, mommy please tell me a story but i don't want you to read it can you just tell me one If you told him the story of Noah's Ark, how would you tell that
1: story? Ooh, how would I tell that story? That's a good question. Um,
0: And I want to invite you to talk like you're actually talking to Bear.
1: Like I'm talking to Bear. Okay. All right. Once upon a time... There was a planet called Earth, and all the people that lived on the Earth didn't take care of their planet. They threw their trash everywhere. They weren't kind to the animals. They weren't kind to each other. And so God, the higher power, the being, the creator that connects us and ties us all together, was sad that Everybody was hurting each other and hurting this beautiful planet that he had created, that it had created with us, for us. And so to start over, he picked a man and a woman and all of their children because he saw how kind they were, how much they loved to pick a tribe, to survive when he cleaned out the earth. Also, he wanted two of every animal, a male and a female, so that they could reproduce and start over. And their job was to go out and gather these animals. Mm, This is hard to do on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) This is hard You're Um, doing a great job (laughs) And so they went out They traveled the world They collected two of every animal And they brought them back And they told the animals Because animals are alive and conscious They told the animals that this is our home On this giant boat For a period While a great flood comes And so the animals agreed to be kind to each other and they were all going to do a really long fast because intermittent (laughs) fasting is really good for us. (laughs) And they all got on this giant boat together. And as the rain came and cleansed the earth and washed away all the evil, if you want to call it that, all the pain, we'll call it pain, Mm -hmm. all the pain. I don't believe in evil. Um. They said prayers.
0: Well, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge how powerful that feels. That it's not evil; it's pain. Yeah. Like people who commit acts of evil are in pain.
1: That's all it is. Yeah. Because, on a side note, when you have children. And, you know, if they watch movies or, you know, just even being around like his cousin and like bad guys and they're playing guns and they're like, we're gonna shoot the bad guys. And then Bear will, you know, talk about different situations. Like he wanted to walk up to this random parked car. And at one point, and I was like, no, we don't walk up to to cars because there could be bad guys in there. And then he would talk about bad guys. Is that a bad guy? Is that a bad guy? And I very quickly was like, no, they're, they're not bad guys. They're just people that have pain that don't know any better and that can do bad things, but it doesn't mean they're bad. Yeah. And so very quickly trying to shift into, cause you know, we always tell him you love everybody. You have love for everybody. It doesn't mean you trust everybody, but you love everybody because like you just said, there's no, there's no evil. There's not things that are like making people, I'm an evil person. They didn't, they weren't born as a baby evil. Right. It was the, as they grew and their life happened to them and pain. how, yeah. what tools they had, if right. they had any at all, that's, it's the cyclical cycle of pain. My stepdad who molested me, he was molested as a yeah. child and nobody believed him. So it's like, there's, pain there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Great side note.
1: Great. Thank you. <laughs> um, back to the story. Okay. This is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as the rain came and, and cleansed the earth, they, they said prayers and they sang mantras for all of the souls to be cleansed and to move on into what was going to be the new earth and they didn't feel they weren't better than anybody but they they knew that their job was to start to to evolve and to grow and to start a new life a new yeah. way of thinking a new way of treating the earth, because this was our our home. This is our home. And once the rain stopped and the earth was underwater and as the water started to go down and the boat settled on the ground and they were safe to exit the boat, they all walked off the boat. The animals were set free and they started their new life and they didn't have a set way of thinking. They just learned and loved and grew together.
0: Yeah. The beautiful thing that I'm seeing in that story is, um, that that seems to be what you and your family and your tribe are attempting to do. Like there doesn't need to be a massive flood, but this, like the earth is sick. We have to change. We will be the change. We're going to start with the foundation of love and trust. And then we're just going to make our own rules, you know? Yeah. How would you tell the story? Uh, so there's first one off- piece
1: actually, there's one piece that I would add that that I forgot that is actually a a component of Noah's Ark that is uh that I totally spaced on is instead of instead of it being I choose these people to survive, you give people the option. This is happening, this great flood is coming, if you want to survive. If you want to Mm. move on, you're come on this boat with us. Mm. And people are given that option. And those who come, choose to come, choose to to survive. And those who don't were lost in the flood. Because that is something that Noah did until he spaced that. I was like, as I was saying, and I was like, it sounds so horrible being Mm -hmm. like, I choose who survives. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause it, it really does feel like we're at a precipice moment in our culture where enough people are being exposed to the right type of information where they have their first wake up moment. Mm-hmm. And then you really like have to choose, like, do I continue the momentum that I've been going on that is contributing to the destruction of this world? Or do I seek to begin to change my patterns in a way that could potentially save the world? Yeah. And I think that we're at a time now, like, I think humans have been unconscious long enough where the momentum now, if we just all became Buddhas and just sat and didn't do anything, the momentum is still going to destroy the planet. Like we, we have to actively yeah. redirect the momentum. Yeah. And I think that um, I choose to see that pattern in your story like that. And, and you did a great job, by the way. I find that people who actually have children crush this. People who either have children or who have been teachers to children Really can kind of like hone in on like how would I say this if I was talking to a child, and yeah. I think that you did a really good job. Thank now you. I'm curious, uh, which story would you like to pick between either The Sound of Music or The Seven
1: Brides for Seven Brothers?
0: Yeah, which one would you choose, and then tell that story?
1: Um, Sound of Music.
0: Cool.
1: So, am I telling that story? So
0: now you're going to tell the story to Wolf, and Wolf is 10 years old.
1: Oh, okay. So, Wolf is our daughter's name when I mean, we have our daughter. I'm not pregnant yet, but I will be. Um, so, there once was a girl who lived in a um, what is it? I can't remember what it's called. I think they called that like them the Abbey. It was like a like a nun where the nuns live.
0: Yeah, I think it's an Abbey.
1: Okay she grew up in an abbey she had been an orphan so this young girl was an orphan she was raised by nuns and because she was raised by nuns she thought that that was her what her path that that was the path that she was going to go on but every time she looked out her window and saw the hills they called to her hmm. and she just wanted to get out on those mountains and run and sing and feel the wind in her hair and feel free and just look at all that was around her not just the confined walls of the the abbey and as she grew she continually was late for the masses was late for the prayers and all the other nuns would talk about her and say talk about how late she was and how she wasn't fit to be a nun and at the same time, the the head nun would talk about her, re- would reference her as, "How do you keep a wave upon the sand? Mm. How do you hold a moonbeam in your hand?" She saw the wild, free spirit of Maria, the young girl, and she knew, and she knew it was okay, and she knew her heart. And she also knew that this wasn't going to be a place that Maria would be happy.
0: Yeah.
1: And so upon her seeing that she had also, um, had a Navy captain who was widowed, who had seven children, had reached out saying he needed a governor, which is like a nanny Mm -hmm. to raise his children, and so she decided to have Maria go and have this, have this experience. This adventure. Yeah. yeah, this adventure. And so she sends her and when Maria gets here because she's so wild and free and um, open, when she gets there, it is like another version of where she was living before the Navy captain's home was spick and span and his children, you know, he called them with a whistle and they lined up in perfect form and they marched when they said their names and it was very orderly and very, Mm. um, reserved and they all wore matching clothing. Like they were on a Navy ship and Maria Um, very quickly just kind of made fun of it and thought it was silly. And when she got to be alone with the children, it was a lot softer. And she was able to connect with the children and really inspire them to be their own person. She made them clothes from the drapes she sewed them clothing from the drapes in the house. She gave them
0: individuality.
1: She gave them individuality. And she also sang with them and took them for cart rides out into the city and took them up to the mountains to have picnics. And they were always singing and dancing. And when whenever the captain, when the father would see them, at one point he was driving a car down the road with some friends and there were Though all the trees down the road had children in them, they had climbed these trees and they were all being wild and they were talking, you know, and he, the, him and his friends were like, Oh, like talking about these wild children, and it ended up being his own. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this isn't really in story form, I'm kind of just describing the no, movie. It's awesome. <laughs> um, but over time, he just saw the happiness of his children and it softened him, and he saw the beauty of this woman's free wild spirit, which was the thing that was lacking in his home, which had been in his home, singing had been in his home when his wife was alive Mm. and his way of handling the loss and having seven children was to demand, you know, command order and to make things to do the best that he could. Yeah. And, uh, ended up falling in love with the woman and they all became because when they would have friends over, she had surprised him with the children singing mm. a beautiful song. And it melt it softened his heart. And he realized that that was something that was missing and that he he saw his children. He hugged his children and they all became singers. And they're called the Von Trapp Family Singers. It's actually based on a true story. Mm. And they lived happily ever after. And he married Maria. And she became their mother.
0: A big thing that I see in that, there's a couple of overtones. One really interesting pattern is the number of seven. Because you said in the other movie, what was the title of the other movie?
1: Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Hmm. There's something there. I don't know what it (laughs) is. Oh, hey, good catch. But there for sure is something there.
0: (laughs) Um, what I hear in that story is like your energy. Like Mm. when you were young, this, like, I want to go to the hills. I want to get out of the Christian kind of confinement that I was in. I want to go be wild and I want to go be free. And the interesting thing that I see in there is like, it's the beauty of what the masculine and the feminine can do for each other. Like too much order is stultifying and too much freedom lacks direction. <clears throat> but a really beautiful thing about a relationship is those two things can come together and actually bring balance. Um, did you find that Kyle was rigid or had a lot of order when you first met him?
1: Uh, no, not at all. I think that past relationships, yes. Hmm. Um, Kyle, he had a, he had patterns. He had things that... Um, he, he was very hardened. I think it was, it was, um, just a very narrow, I mean, you know, Kyle, like there's things about him that are still very much the same. Like when it comes to like going hard partying and like, he's like, we're doing it. We're going, we're doing it. We're doing this and this, but, um, he's a lot, he's very mindful of it now. Whereas in the past, it was all the alcohol, all the drugs. Like there was just, I want to, Get out of my head, and I just want to be lost in it, even if it was hurting him. Yeah. Um. But I I don't think he was. We we were both very adventurous and um spontaneous, and I think that's something that I really was drawn to. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Did you find that that was a pattern in past relationships where you would be the wild? version, trying to bring out the spontaneity in the more orderly partner?
1: Uh, Yeah, for sure. And I think that was, um, that was also just me with friends, Mm -hmm. with siblings. Mm -hmm. Like I was always, I've always been very wild. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So we're going to try to, or we're going to kind of shift gears. Um, What do you remember being the first like dream that you had for your life about like what you wanted to be?
1: When I was young, I think because we grew up in a home with musicals and we were always dancing, I wanted to be a performer. I Mm -hmm. wanted to, I loved singing. I was always singing and I remember telling my mom I wanted to be a singer. Um, I was in the choir. Uh, I would get solos and like, I would listen to the song that they would, okay, this is the song that you're going to sing. This is your part. And I would listen to it and I would practice to where I sounded exactly, like just all of the different pitches, all of it. Like I was very much like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to nail it exactly the way it is. Um, And anytime I like say this, it's never a, thing to like, I'm not mad at my mom. Like I just, I understand everything that she's ever said and how she's hand, like done things as a parent, um, just because of knowing her childhood and how she wasn't supported, but she was very much like, well, you're not that great of a singer. So maybe think yeah. of something else. And so I started losing that confidence to sing. Um, but it never stopped me from singing. I still sing mm-hmm. all the time. For sure. Um, but I definitely wanted to be a performer, like sing and dance.
0: So once you experienced that passion, and then the feedback from the world was kind of like, you should do something more safe. Uh, what was the next, like, dream isn't even the right word, but the next <clears throat> expectation of like what you were going to be in the world?
1: But I was an after be singer. Um, you
0: know, cause we expect kids to know in high school to choose what their major is and then to just have an idea of what they're going to do.
1: I, this is a very, a really good question because I, and this is very much how I am to this day. And it used to drive me crazy and I cannot remember who was talking, who was saying it, but, um, I have never had, I've never been this one thing is what I've always wanted to do. I'll, be super excited and passionate about something and like do it for a while. And then I'm like, okay, I really enjoyed that. Now I'm interested in, so like art, music, those have been solid things I've enjoyed doing, like hobbies. And even at one point when I was in college, I made, I sewed and made my own purse, just the whole thing. And it was a beautiful bag uh, that I just wanted, for myself, I just wanted something different and unique and pretty and, you know, with stuff all over it. <laughs> um And it, people kept asking me where I got it. And I was like, oh, I actually made it. And like, what, you made it? Oh, you know, do you make more? And yeah. so I actually started making these bags. I what prob- age is this? This is college. Yeah, I'm like, I was probably like 21.
0: What'd you go to college for?
1: Uh, art. And I didn't finish because my mom, kept saying, you're not going to make a living with that. And so maybe do nursing, maybe do forestry, maybe do like, she just had all the, so like listening to my mom, cause I, I had realized I'd worked so hard to get a full ride scholarship. My mm-hmm. focus was wow. study really hard, get all the best, you know, get the best grades, compete race so that I am the best runner. I can get, you know, an academic and athletic scholarship, nailed it, got it to a division one school and Northern Arizona university in Flagstaff, great school for, for running and forestry. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's some great stuff there, (laughs) but I had, I realized like, I really didn't think about what I didn't have a thing. Like I'm going to go do this. So when I got to college, I, I was just kind of in my first year taking like Maybe I'll be a teacher. Maybe I'll do nursing. Maybe I'll... So I kind of was just taking these little classes to just kind of see what I was interested in. And I still took art, but that was like my minor. I'll Mm -hmm. get a minor. And so it wasn't even... But I just wasn't happy and like passionate about any of that stuff. And so it was boring. Yeah. So I didn't enjoy doing... I didn't enjoy it. And then I was in a horrible accident. My sophomore year and, uh, rolled my car, had a horrible concussion. Um, and now looking back, it brought up a lot of, there was a lot about college that brought up so much pain, undealt with pain from my, my childhood. Um, and just being like away from my mother and really really coming into like what I believed myself. And so it was just a really hard, really hard for me, my freshman and sophomore year. Um, in fine, just knowing myself, I didn't know myself at all. And I just felt flighty and confused and, and sad. So when I was in the accident and then I also had an injury for running, so I couldn't, compete. And so my self-worth up to that point was had so much to do with my running, how good I was when people yeah. would see me, when I'd visit, how's running going? Cause I was just known as this great runner. And so when I didn't have that, it was like, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I'm worthless. I don't know. I don't, no, I don't like school because I don't have a vote. Fo- I don't have a f- passion, a focus. I'm yeah. not doing what I want to do. And so about a quarter into my junior year, I left and gave it up.
0: Can we zoom in for a moment on yes. um after the concussion, that sounds like um the dark night of the soul moment. Mm-hmm. And I think most people, anyone who kind of goes on to be interesting in their adult life, I feel like they have this moment in their early twenties where there's like there's this dark night of the soul where it's whatever the current life map was that gave you meaning, it fucking crumbles. Mm-hmm. Um can you, for people, because I think it'll help really dive into like, what was your on the bathroom floor moment where you really had to like, it was the deepest curve of the cave of that dark night. And how did you get through that specific moment?
1: Um, I would say it it kind of started when I was 16 and then it blew up um, with a concussion and all of that. But at 16 years old. Is when my mom divorced my third dad, and he was my dad for about eleven years. Um, I say eleven because she married him when I was ten, and then I still considered him my dad and for would sure. spend time with him even when they were divorced. Um, but I was crushed when they were di- when they got divorced, and also the traumas from my childhood. And being very competitive and running, I started, I s- dealt with anorexia. So I decided that year, this is my year. I need to be thinner. All the girls that are winning are really thin. So I need to be thinner. So I pretty much stopped eating and then had the shittiest season, <laughs> year of running ever. <laughs> not- and I was like, this isn't working for me at all. And so then started eating healthy again and then had my best year ever, my senior year. Went to college, was running great. And then I came back from college and was visiting my stepdad and he had like lost a ton of weight. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I was, I was struggling. I wasn't overweight or anything, but I definitely wasn't happy because I weighed more than I wanted to. Just because when you're eating in college and you're eating with teammates and I just was out of, I was eating whatever. and I didn't Especially feel if you're a good. track runner. Yeah. And eating. I just wasn't feeling, I didn't feel good. And he was like, oh, anytime I overeat, I just throw up a little. Whoa. And so I, it was like, oh, like that just didn't appeal to me at all. But then go back to school, was feeling that after eating a big meal and just was like, well, maybe I just give that a shot. And so then that then bulimia starts. So then I also was suffering from I was dealing with bulimia. So my on the floor in the bathroom moment wow. yeah. <laughs> I was literally on the floor in the bathroom. And that there's just nothing that like mentally, physically, you're talking about gut brain connection, um, on top of not dealing with all the, the pain and the trauma, um, and then not being happy with school, with my running, um, feeling like I didn't have support from my mom, um. And then anytime I would talk to my mom, it was like you just need to go to church, you need to do this, you need to do that, and it was just it, it was I was just miserable. Every aspect of who I was was just miserable. Then the concussion happened, and for anyone that's had a concussion, it's uh for anyone that's done too much Molly mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a it feels like your your serotonin wow. levels are completely depleted, and there's like a mental. Thing where you're just like, I know what this is, but I feel I feel depressed and I feel unhappy and I can't stop, it doesn't stop. And so in feeling no desire to go on in school and competing and doing that whole thing, um, there wasn't like this aha moment in that time frame, It was just, I'm done doing this. I'm going to, okay, mom's right. I need to give my life back to the Lord and do that. And so then I moved to Mammoth, California and joined a program out there where it was all about missionary work and doing the Lord's work. And so completely put myself in there and we like helped out with Hurricane Katrina and like just did that whole thing. And through the whole thing, I was incredibly depressed. I remember crying all the time and feeling like I wanted to die. Um, gained a lot of weight, which made me feel even worse. Um, and so then when I left that, cause I ended up leaving that early too. Um, what age is this now? Huh?
0: What age is this when you left that place?
1: Probably that was like 21. So yeah. when the concussion happened, it was probably like 20. Um, so then I moved back to Vegas, found a great first boyfriend. <laughs> first? First boyfriend at 21. Wow. Yeah. Um and he was just, you know, the a little combination of all my all my fathers, just mm. abusive and violent and bad boy. Um but it was that like I I was just, you know, that's, I wanted that rebellious thing cause that nothing was working and nothing was making me happy. And, um, then after some time in that I was like, what am I doing? This yeah. is like, this is not a, I'm not happy with this at all. So then I moved to Hawaii for a year to live with my sister to get away from that. And that was, that was my find myself time. Yeah. I was there. I didn't work. We well, we worked a little, but it was like very much like Blue Crush the movie. Mm-hmm. We were like cleaning yeah. rich people's houses mm-hmm. and just making money to like live. And then the rest of the time we were out in the water and I I had alone time to like that's when I wrote out the letter to my stepfather. Wow. about the the abusive stepfather. That's when I did my, some self work to really process through things and find myself and, um, find myself at that. For sure. For
0: sure. Now, Um, this is interesting. Um, what are the specific things that you remember doing? It sounds like one is you wrote letters to the people from your past that mm -hmm. contributed to like your traumas. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the other, like really specific practical things that you did to process and to find yourself at that time?
1: Um, I was just in nature. I was mm. in the ocean. I was just looking, snorkeling and just looking at the, the wild, you know, yeah. I was in the wild. I was, I mean, nothing brings you more. That's why I need like, no, there's not a single soul in the world. I don't think who goes to the ocean and is like, meh, right. I don't know what this is about. I don't right. know why, what all the rage is right. about with this. There's an, no, I, it's, there's an, it's, it's impossible to not be energized and to feel good when you're by the ocean or in the ocean. Um, I didn't, because I grew up in church. And at that point I would still call myself a Christian. I didn't have this, the word meditation or the word yoga were very um, like, oh, those are people that are doing weird things, you know? <laughs> so like it, like prayer, but right. prayer and meditation are very much the same thing. like. You're sitting and you're asking for healing. You're asking for clarity. You're asking for forgiveness. You are forgiving. You are contemplating. You're sitting with the thing and and working through it and crying through it. I did a lot of like crying and releasing. Truly, yeah.
0: I think that that is one of the most underrated self-development tools is actually letting yourself cry
1: yeah it's a really important one that is really um it's really silly that there's this male female this is a female thing to do this Mm -hmm. is a male thing to do and even when it comes to pleasure of the body if a guy like if (laughs) <laughs> like go there like chose buttholes like like think of if you feel pleasure from something it doesn't mean oh i don't i shouldn't be feeling that like right. no you're you have a body and it if it's pleasurable then it's pleasurable it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman yeah. if you like your ass being licked it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman Amen. like that shit feels good yeah <laughs> so For sure. So crying, biology, yeah. if we want to get out of the sexual side, but crying—it's a human characteristic, sure. just like laughing
0: and it, giggling, so,
1: tickling, being ticklish. Like a really all the interesting
0: same. thing to think about is that humans—and I might—I'm pretty sure I'm right here, but I might be wrong—but humans are the only mammals that cry.
1: Mm. You know,
0: and when you really think about, like, what is happening when you're crying. And at least what I find in my life is, you know, there's crying from like witnessing something that feels transcendently beautiful. And that's like what happens when I eat mushrooms and just water is just trickling out of my eyes. I'm not actually crying. It's Mm -hmm. just like cleansing. Yeah. And then there's this really interesting thing that I find that's like when a part of you is dying, like a part of you that was an illusion, that wasn't true as you speak things that are that it's almost like you discover new truths. And as you speak them out loud, the speaking of them makes you cry, but you can feel that like you're shedding something. Mm -hmm. So there's this crying from like shedding or from growth. Um, And at least those are two types of crying that I'm very familiar with, like in my life. Um, But I do feel like there are other types of crying that like, there seems to be some type of crime that people universally see as like self-indulgent or like wrong. Um, do you have any like examples or experience with like the type of crime where it almost like it's being used in the presence of another person? Like, what does that feel like?
1: I have a great example. Um, I think it's a great example. My third dad, Um, who I was the closest with, he, despite his rage, um, he was very at home. He was a monster. He was always yelling, throwing things, breaking things, leaving, slamming doors. Um, Just a very scary person. Uh, When we would get to church, he would, he was, he would present himself as a very loving person, very joyful person and he when talking to people or when worship's going on and he's in the back, just doing the thing um he cried he was he would cry he would laugh and he would cry and he would worship and he would cry and it was very people thought people thought he was
0: the wokest.
1: Yeah. And the way I see it is he was crying, but it wasn't in the way he was showing it, but the pain he was in was Hmm. driving those tears, but presenting it as, but using it as I'm happy, I'm you know. It wasn't crying in the
0: awe of God. It was crying for how he treated his family the last week.
1: Yeah. I think, I think I'm sure there's people that, you know, you think of actors and people that can turn it on. I know that happens, but at the same time, why? Like, I think like they're they're pulling something to bring those tears. So I feel like tears are always either from joy or from pain, Yeah, but how you are how they're, you know, it, it's not always presented the way that it's, it's not always that authentic. it actually is, but tears, yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense. Interesting. No, it
0: does. Yeah. And that's an interesting side note. Um, but yeah, so now let's go back. You're, you're in Hawaii or Hawaii and you feel like you started to really like process some of these things from your past. Well, what was the next step on your journey?
1: So the next step was I'm on an island. I'm getting island fever Mm -hmm. and I'm literally doing nothing with my life. I can't live the rest of my life like this. As great as Hawaii is, I was like, all right, I'm ready. I feel good. I feel um, excited to go back. And um, one of the reasons, one of the things that was like, oh, I think I'm going to go back and try this thing was I was approached um, in Hawaii by... Uh, like a modeling agency person and they're like, have you ever considered modeling? And I was like, no, I'm really short. And I know that's, you know, a tall person's game. Like, no, no, no. You could do print work and you know, there's a lot you could do, but you should try. I think you would do really well at it. And um, it kind of just ignited this, like that performer that I always Wanted to be as a child, and it was never. Um, I never thought of myself as like beautiful. I knew I was not unattractive, but my feeling of myself was always like I'm a badass athlete, and that was how I pictured myself. But I, I knew like, okay, well I'm I'm attractive, so maybe I can get something. So I decided to go back to Vegas, went to a bunch of different agencies, and started. Getting hired for print work for modeling jobs, this? huh? What age is this? This was probably twenty-three. Um, and then through doing different modeling jobs, then some, I was uh, one of the agencies was like, "Do you can you dance? Are you a good dancer? Because we have like go-go dancing positions if you wanted extra work in the evenings on the weekends." I was like, I love dancing. I have no background, but if, you know, go-go dancing, it's not choreographed or anything. You're just up there having fun. Yeah. And so then I started doing that and had a blast and I absolutely loved it and um, did that for quite a few years, got hired at the Playboy Club to just be an atmosphere bunny. So I just got to hang out at tables with VIP guests and met a lot of really cool people. And that was fun. Um and then one of my agencies was asked to bring in a bunch of girls to do this UFC ring girl contest.
0: And what age is this? This
1: was in 2009. So let me do the math there. So you've been doing 25 the... 24. Okay. Yeah. Was it 24? I'm not good with math, okay? That's all good. <laughs> <laughs> As we're in 85,
0: 95.
1: 24, 25. 25, okay. Yeah, I was like, I know it's around there somewhere because when Kyle and I met, I was like 27. Yeah, so, or when we started dating. Um, so I went, I was picked to go do this contest and having been working in Vegas, I knew contests that were always rigged like you would get, they would bring in a bunch of girls, but they already be like, well, this girl's the winner, but we need to have a bunch of girls to make it look fun. And like, oh, it's, yay. Um, and so going into that, I literally went hiking all day that morning, went home, showered really quick. My hair was a mess. It was all curly and frizzy, just threw some mascara on and was like, there, there here I am. And not thinking anything of it. And I ended up winning. And it was, st- I remember when I was picked, it was like, <laughs> <Did> this really what <laughs> and I and at that point I really didn't know what the UFC was yeah. I wasn't watching it I knew because my boyfriend at the time he would have it on every now and then and I would just kind of be doing something else while it was on uh-huh. um and so then won the contest it was awesome it was so much fun um and then went on a tour for the troops a UFC tour for the troops in Iraq. And that's where I met Kyle. And even with through all of this up until this, all the way to this point, I was still very like, I'm a Christian. Cause I just, I, even though I wasn't practicing, I wasn't going to church. Um, it was a very like,
0: part of your identity. It, well, and
1: you, when you grow up in it, you, you know, you have the, like, I'll never not say I'm a Christian cause I don't want to burn in hell. And I talked about this on, um, Kyle's podcast too, but it wasn't I wasn't living it. I wasn't right. embodying it, but I was like, I'm a Christian. And um, so we were friends for a year started. Uh, he was he was in a relationship for about six years when we met. And so I was like, oh, he's married. But we hit it off as friends. And I was like, that guy is awesome. I really I hadn't laughed that hard and I don't think ever for 18 days, we were together on this tour with other people. And it was just like nonstop laughter. And he, there was, I was just very drawn to him. So we stayed friends. Um, I almost went and stayed with him and his girlfriends when I was going to race in San Francisco and then didn't end up racing. And then he... At one of the times that we had, were like catching up, he told me that they had broken up, and I was like, "Ah, <laughs> like you're, <laughs> you're free!" And so we started dating. <laughs> Your mind, um, we started dating, and we we officially um, be like kind of boyfriend girlfriend in like October, November of 2011, and I moved out and lived with him in February of 2012. Say it one more time. So October, like November of 2011, Mm -hmm. then I moved out and lived with him, started living with him February, 2012.
0: When you know, you know.
1: Yeah. Uh, Oh, what age were you then? 27? Yes. And we've been together ever since. Um, But 2013 is when I did my first plant medicine ceremony and that was the aha moment for me. That was the first time I experienced God. Yeah. That was the first time I experienced love like that, love like, and seeing myself and and really began. And like, so my first ceremony was a very heroic, times two (laughs) dose of mushrooms. Sounds about right how you and Kyle do it. (laughs) He didn't plan it that way. Uh, But like we were in a sweat, Temescal, the sweat lodge on a native reservation in California. And it was incredibly beautiful. There was never a moment I was scared. There was never a moment. And I remember even going into it, praying and saying like, please protect me. I'm not doing, I'm doing this for the right reasons. I just want to be closer and connect with you. And that's what happened. And then after that, I did ayahuasca for the first time. And that was my first ceremony with my dad. And so it was like, that's where real healing from just going super deep into myself and, and into those past situations and seeing my stepfather and and forgiving him and feeling empathy for him and, like, the post I had about my father's, like, just go down the line of who I felt, where I felt so much pain from, even my mother, like, just all of it, just, it just changed the vision of it from me, ouch, to all of us. All of us have pain yeah. that is just when undealt with, that's what it looks like. And and you can't, I don't ever want to live my life from pain from a past situation to carry on into how I live my life now, how I yeah. raise my children now. Um, and it's just, it makes interactions with those people so much better, like Absolutely. with my mom. Like her and I used to just butt heads and now we, I can have her come and stay at our house for one night. <laughs> <laughs> one night is my max. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and if she, you know, says things or, you know, that would typically in the past trigger me where I'd be like, get out, get out of my house. Like there were times in the past where I'd go visit my family and shit would just be going crazy. And I, I would, I'd get a call cause I'd be gone. I'd be driving like, hey, where are you? I'm like, I'm going, I left. <laughs> like wow. I would just, I was a retreat. Either I ha- had things to say and would go at it with my mom and she'd be crying and, and I wouldn't feel bad about it. And now those, their thoughts will still come in of like, this is what I want to say, but my mantra I love to live by, if you can't say it with kindness, don't say it. Hmm. So if it can't be said in a way where I'm saying it to you yeah. in the kindest way possible, then I don't need to say it.
0: I love that. My way of saying the exact same thing is um, truth in love.
1: Yeah.
0: And if you can't say it in love, it's probably not your actual truth. You're, no, you're, you're probably in anger or that. sadness or pain or something. Mm-hmm. I love that. So you do ayahuasca for the first time. Um, how does that change the course of the story of Natasha? Like, where do you go after that?
1: Um, real, just truth my truth my freedom my my um not worrying about what i think i should be or how i think i should live my life or trying to please people i was always a people pleaser like mm-hmm. oh i want to make you know like especially from my mom like oh i want her to love me i want her to be proud of me but being okay with my family or whoever not approving. And that brought me so much freedom and and really truly healing from the eating disorders. Like I had in one ceremony I had, that was my intention because even though I, all the, throughout all that time I still would struggle with bulimia. Like wow. it wasn't an all the time thing but it was something that would resurface constantly. And it would take, you know, I'd deal with it for a while and then be like, okay, I need to, I don't, this is miserable. What am I doing? And then like, get on that, get right. And then, (laughs) um, but it was something that I was like, even if I wasn't throwing my food up, like the periods that I wasn't, I would, I was tormented. It was like the thought, like anytime it was like, oh, we're going to go out to eat. It was like, oh, like, I hope I... I hope I stop eating uh, or I don't, I don't eat too much. Or like, if it was like bad food, I knew I would be laying in bed thinking about it. Like, I wish I hadn't eaten that food. I'm going to feel like crap the next morning, wake up in the morning in a bad mood because I.
0: Told yourself the story.
1: Yeah. And so like, I remember being in a ceremony and that was my intention. I just want it removed. I want it to be gone. I don't want it to be this thing that I deal with anymore. And there were two, I remember it started off once I had started having the visuals and there was just these two snakes moving around a white one and a black one. And as they slithered closer, they just dove into my body. And as creepy, creeped out as people are about snakes, I've never had a bad uh, experience with snakes in my, in my visions, but the snakes were just moving through my body and eating away the things that I no longer, that I didn't want that no longer served me. And that was like, and that was also the after that ceremony is when I actually told Kyle about my eating disorder. Wow, he hadn't. He known. hadn't. He didn't know. How long at had that you guys point. dated? That was probably two years. Wow. Yeah. So wow. when you're when you're bulimic, you're pretty good at hiding it. Yeah. You're, you've got things down to to know and to be tricky, and you've got your it's not something that normally people know or unless you've dealt with it, you like, I can spot it usually like, Hmm. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I've someone very close to me who's had it for a long time and it's a, yeah,
1: it's a hard one. Yeah.
0: Um, an interesting thing that I find is that people who have, you know, like the reason we don't tell something is because we have shame around it and people who have these secrets, they get really good at Mm lying, and, um, it's like, That's a slippery slope because once you feel the power of like getting good at lying, it's like, oh, I can kind of do whatever the fuck I want. Mm -hmm. But I think it erodes like the um, self-respect that you have for yourself. Like the more you use that tool, it's almost like there's all sorts of myths where you get some powerful tool, but every time you use it, it takes your life force. Like that's a very common motif and that's what lying feels like.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and also when you don't tell people, like for me, when I, because that I didn't, I didn't tell Kyle because I didn't want him. I wanted to keep doing it. I wanted to have that option to be able to keep doing it because if he knew, then he could possibly, Hey, Natasha's not here. We just ate all that food. I wonder if she's, you know, so it's like, there's, it's a, I don't like, once you decide, I don't, I really don't want to do this anymore. It is the best thing to do, to Mm. tell people, to have a support, to have people, to have your back or to keep you to, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm looking for a word and I can't remember it. Accountability. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's really fucking interesting is that there are some secrets That the reason we don't tell is because we don't want to stop doing the vice.
1: Yeah. Hmm.
0: I'm going to have to sit with that for a while. Yeah. So you tell Kyle and that feels like that's got to have been like a major shift in your life.
1: Yeah. Big one. And in telling him and in having that ceremony, it was because there was still a part of me that was like, it's never fully removed. It never, it, you know, but like it legitimately did. It changed everything. Like I learned healthy. Like I learned how to not. If I if I felt full, I didn't have this like gotta eat all the food, you know. Like I learned how to like have balance and how to listen to my body and even into like how to, I just didn't know how to eat. I wasn't eating right. Yeah. I was still like eating, you know, my my our our feeling on how we eat is like 90 to 95% of the time we are eating on point. Most of the time it's like 100%, but there is a percentage of where we let loose and we will have, you know, glutinous pizza when we're Mm -hmm. in LA because it's our favorite pizza spot. So, um, and then even here, like, but like for me throughout these last few years, it since Kyle's been keto and, and I tend to, eat this very same way, even though I can, I eat more carbs than him. Um, I make really healthy food, but I make it to where it tastes really good. For and it sure. Makes you feel I've, like I've you're your not food. Just, it's fucking delicious. Thank you. I, I like my food to taste good. I yeah. don't want it. To, oh, I'm eating healthy. Like it shouldn't be a, you shouldn't be sacrificing the taste and how much you enjoy eating food. But um, I just didn't have that back when, you know, I just never grew up with sure. that. so.
0: And it feels like, um, so when you admitted that to Kyle, was there anything that he had been hiding that he felt like now that you did that, he wanted to share something like, was there any type of exchange like that?
1: No, yeah. he, <laughs> if he was here, he'd probably, I, mean, I know he would be like, yeah, it's uh, slightly annoying. I can, I read him so well, For so sure. it's really hard. It's impossible. And so he just, he's never tried to hide things from me because I can read it. But like the, one of the things that I was completely unaware of that he actually just confessed, confessed is not the right word, but just (laughs) told me. And it was like one of those, you son of a bitch. Like just recently? Recently. Yeah. Probably within the last, definitely within the last year um, or even six months uh, that he was still doing cocaine. When we were going out, and that's pro- that's so many people that's like who cares? I was very anti-drugs and like, and for me because of how much he drank and how he would black out all the time. Our first year was really rough because yeah. of how much he drank and how often and how often he would black out, and that was really stressful to me, especially being someone who was not, um, who who was not a drinker. I'm not a big drinker, right. um, but also. I was very afraid of addiction type um, uh,
0: behavior partners. behavior
1: because of my real dad who killed himself. He was a very addictive. He had a very addictive personality, and so that was a big reason why I never went down those paths. Right. Um, because I was like, I don't want to open a door. I'm already feeling, you know, like throughout my life, I already felt like super depressed and had a lot of issues, you know, pain. So it was like, I just didn't want to start doing something that maybe made me feel really good. And then I would, I knew. Chase that dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So then when he was going through all of that, it was very hard for me because A, I loved him and I could see him hurting himself. And um, so I had like a list of like, if you drink and drive, I'm breaking up with you. That's a hard no for me because it means you don't care about yourself. And it means you don't care about other people. And why would I want to marry somebody or even someday have children with somebody who doesn't care about their life or other people's lives? So hard no. You ever do that? Or I'm I'm gone. Um, and then the other one was like cocaine and different things that I knew he would do at parties. Um, and so then I just found out recently that for a long time in our relationship, he would When he would like hang out with his... Like if we were out at things, he would be in like, oh, I'm going to go pee. And he would do blow. And I was like, you son of a bitch. But obviously I didn't get mad at him because it's like a past thing. And even since then, there's been times that he's had some, you know, maybe a little bit of Burning Man or something, but it's never been copious amounts. It's been like one little something. And, And I'm also very much a, I don't possess you. I will check in with you and make sure that when you're flying high on other things that we are mindful of what we're doing because I want us to feel good the next day and I want to protect your brain. And I'm I invested wanna... in
0: your health and your genes, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah.
1: So, yep.
0: A question that I am curious about is what I find in relationships is that when you start dating, you have your guards up And then there's this moment where it's the first time that your ego really allows itself to think, oh, this could be the wife or the husband or the father or the mother of my children or like, and there's this fundamental shift that happens in how you relate to that other person. Um, Do you find that? And if you do find that, how long into dating Kyle, did you feel that?
1: Well, I'm a weird, strange woman in that I never had... There, every now and then we would talk about like have like oh yeah we would say like yeah I want kids but there wasn't this let's have kids or or even like get married like I never was like talking about when are you gonna propose to me like I just never really cared about the marriage part, um, and I kind of talked about this a little bit uh, with Kyle on the podcast we did, uh. It be, growing up with so many failed marriages, mm. to me, it wasn't this like thing that keeps you together. For sure. So if that was in the cards, like when he proposed, I was completely surprised because mm. it was like, awesome, cool, we're engaged. But it wasn't, it was still, it wasn't like, now I'm going to start planning a wedding and doing all these things because I just didn't really care about that part if we never got married it wouldn't have made me feel sad cuz i also never cared to have a wedding interesting but like because to me there there's no there's nothing that's going to keep you together other than the desire to stay together so as long For as sure. we really just we decide there's nothing that could happen that would break us apart there's nothing you could do That we like, and that's something I've even told him when we started open, like both of us, like there's nothing that you could do that would make me leave you. As long as we're both continually growing, we communicate with each other, we take turns speaking and listening, you know, like it's, you can work through anything,
0: I do feel like the implicit thing there is as long as you stay in truth with me, Mm
1: -hmm. right? Yeah.
0: Because like if they started lying and just started to like completely.
1: There's, there's no way to, it's, that's such a bold statement, but for me, there's no way to come back from losing trust. No, for for sure.
0: Yeah. Because
1: then, then it would be a constant. And I know this from experience from dating a guy and we had a great first year together and then. Boom. Oh my God. Like all over the computer, just all these, you know, just cheating had been cheating. And it was like, it crushed me. And I thought like in the past, like I'd been cheated on boyfriends before and I'd been cheated on by boyfriends before. And in those situations, I was always like, done. (laughs) See ya. I'm like, no, not doing this. And then, but with this one, because it was such a magical, easy first year and he was like, oh, like, said all the right things. And so I decided to stay. I didn't trust him. And I had a good, I, for good reasons, he kept doing it. So yeah. that didn't last very long. But I found myself being a crazy girlfriend. And it was, I felt miserable constantly being like, I want to look at his phone. I'm going to look at all the things, like, every single thing that someone wrote or if he got a message or if he was gone, it was always like, it was too, it was just like, it was miserable. And so um, losing trust. And that's why it's like, even with Kyle, but with Kyle and I, I never, the relationship never started. There was ever a point I didn't trust him because of how we met and the fact that he was so, he had a girlfriend, we were in a different country, and there were ah, other people around yeah. that he easily could have been with that wanted to, and he didn't like. I got to see his character because that was another thing, too. Really when I got yeah. to the UFC, I was like, I'm not dating any of these fighters because I would see firsthand, Oh, nice to meet you, wife, and then somewhere else, you're like, That's not his wife, he's walking through that hotel with, you know. Yeah. Like, so just I just had a very I'm not dating any fighters, I'm not gonna do that. Um. It doesn't mean I didn't sleep with any of the
0: fighters. Heard
1: <laughs> I didn't sleep with a whole bunch. All right, people, calm down. Um, <laughs> and uh, but we just never. Yeah. So you got yeah. to see
0: his like that is such an underrated uh, thing when you can see when you can see how someone acts where they don't understand that they're being witnessed and mm-hmm. they just are their truth. Yeah. And like, oh this person acts like this in this situation. And it just, it fucking calms some part of the animal inside mm-hmm. of you.
1: Yeah. So I, I felt very safe in that relationship. And even when we started talking about being open, which was 2015, Bear was four months old. Um, Cause that's when we actually eloped um, because I there was no talk of like doing a wedding. We'd been engaged but it was, it made sense to me to all have the same last name, you know, so that we had a kid, and then it's a um, pretty dumb
0: last name, by the way.
1: Yeah, and and also my my um, maiden name was, was Wix. and that was from so my birth name was Natasha Marie Roberts. My stepdad um, adopted us. And so my last name was Natasha Marie Wicks, but because he was my abuser, that was the name I was carrying. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't like uh every time I said my name, I was like, oh. like it just, <laughs> it wasn't, but it was nice. Like to me, it Symbolic, was like, yeah. I want to change. I don't, I'm happy to take on For sure. Kyle's last name. And now we have a, ch- a child together. So we just did the, the uh, eloped and it was quick and easy. So, yeah, but like, Him talking, open relationship just simply started by him saying, hey, if you ever, even though we're married, if you ever want to experience someone else or if you ever want anything else in life, I want you to know that I want that for you. I want you to have everything that you want in life. And you've heard this story, but my reaction was very like, oh, you want to fuck other people. This is what this is about. This isn't about me and what I Mm -hmm. want. This is about you. But um, in in furthering because that conversation and just being like, well, what does that mean? Like you would, you want to go hook up, you know, so just it opened up the conversation. But um, what we already had going for us was the fact that we were friends for that year beforehand. And Mm. I was very much without knowing it, dating like an open relationship person. I wasn't.
0: Because you were into him, but he had a partner.
1: Yeah, I was into him, but I, the guys that I was dating, I wasn't, I didn't have a boyfriend. I, they would all, like, I would be interested in a guy. We'd hit it off and I'm like, just so you know, I'm not looking for a boyfriend, but I am having fun and you wouldn't be the only one.
0: Because you knew that Kyle was. Like, no, no,
1: Kyle wasn't even oh, I see. on the radar. You
0: were just dating multiple people. Yeah, but honest.
1: Kyle knew this. So like, because we were still friends, you'd be like, so who are you dating now? And like, when I like, like send me his picture and then like, of course, make fun of them. And it's so funny. Um, but like all the guys that I was dating, it was just like, I was seeing a guy in California and then I'd had this guy in Vegas, but they all knew I wasn't serious with one person. Cause yeah. I was just like, after that relationship with the cheating and after having been through multiple relationships before that that ended in cheating also or even the first one that was really abusive like in my my mind I was just like I'm not I'm going to be single the rest of my life unless this person the per, like a guy is really like okay yeah this is this is somebody I could be serious with right. and and monogamous with um And little did I know. (laughs) Yeah.
0: What I see is the sound of music being the beginning of your journey. And it sounds like Noah's Ark is where you're heading, Mm. you know? Yeah. What do you see as, um, if you had the power to create the perfect outcome for like how your life would look 30 years from now, what do you see from where you are right now?
1: I love that question because I have always, when I think of being old or er, older and elder, I, the picture that I love is having a big family with lots of grandbabies. Seven. I don't know the number. It's kind of a one, at, you know, take it like one at a time. Um, but... With what we're doing now and the fact that we have Christian and we've got three against one and then any, you know, girlfriends that come in the mix, like, ideally, it's going to feel like it feels now where it's a For tribe. Sure. It's a community of people that are. A part
0: of feet. me feels like you're destined to have seven. We'll see.
1: <laughs> seven. I mean, I'm 34. I don't know. They how... might not
0: all be yours, but exactly. part of the tribe. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. But like that is a beautiful thing to me mm. having a big family where you're just looking around at your children and your children's children. And yeah, um, I see myself being an active person, still very active, um, traveling, just really enjoying life, going to Burning Man. You know, like I see myself really still doing all the things that I love to do, art, singing music, but with family and with a very um, beautiful support system of not, and not, and not even just like lovers, you know, like us moving to Austin has been huge in so many ways because we have amazing friends, yourself included, that it's just like having, you guys, you over and other friends over for dinners and meeting up and doing family group nature hikes on the weekends. Like there's, it's, it brings so much to us. Yeah, It really is family. And we have family, we have siblings and parents, but like they all live in other places. And the difference in what we have with the friends we have here, the tribe we have here is that there's these conversations Mm -hmm. you know we don't have this is the first time in our relationship where we're in a place where we can literally talk about all the things we love to talk about yeah yeah and not have it be like that's cool (laughs) yeah you
0: you actually have a tribe now yeah yeah that's fucking beautiful uh to end the podcast i have questions that i like to ask and you just answer as soon as they come to your mind so i am about to pull those up The Godsy questions. The Godsy
1: questions.
0: (laughs) All right. So just say whatever the first thing is that comes to your mind. Word or phrase that captures your life philosophy?
1: We are happy. We are healthy. We are whole. We take our love wherever we go.
0: Word or phrase that cuts to the core of who you are? Wild. What are you most afraid of?
1: Losing my son.
0: What is your most persistent problem? Sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Street smart or analytic.
1: Street smart.
0: Slow. I
1: feel like I'm both. Can I say both? You can't. Okay.
0: Slow or fast paced environments
1: both
0: rule follower or risk taker
1: risk taker
0: need for control low medium or high medium are you more intellectually or physically competitive physically are you more critical of yourself or of others myself do you prefer fast or slow choices slow pressure comes from within and what does pressure feel like in the body
1: um, fear anxiety
0: in my tribe I am a queen a warrior a magician or a lover
1: I would say warrior and lover
0: It all comes down to love. Success is
1: happiness.
0: Love is love my vision.
1: Living my truth, which is something I hate using. It's such a used phrase, but. Living.
0: It's the truth.
1: Living my truth, being me. I am. Love.
0: My purpose. Love. The most defining moment of my life.
1: Becoming a mother.
0: Now this is the last question. Let's say that you're at the end of your life. You know that you're going to die the next day peacefully in your sleep. How would you spend that last day and who would you want there with you?
1: All my friends and family, and my dog Guapo man.
0: <laughs> and what would you do the last day?
1: We would be on the beach, playing games, eating food, laughing, dancing, singing on psychedelics. Of course. Every single one of us. Mm-hmm.
0: I'll be there. <laughs> what note would you leave for your grandchildren? If you could leave just one message written down for them, what would you write on that last day before you go to sleep?
1: That's a good question. It always works out. Trust yourself. Be free. And be you.
0: Thank you for coming on the podcast.
1: I love you, Godzi. Thank I love you, you for too. having me.